0: All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast of the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the psychology program and host of Psychology and Stuff. We've got a very special episode Uh, today. Next week, we are taking uh, about 36 students and a whole bunch of faculty are going to the Midwestern Psychological Association Conference in Chicago. And what we have for you today uh, are just uh, a handful of interviews with students who are going down to that conference. And so uh, talking about the research, the original research that they have done uh, on a variety of topics. So um, before we get there, I want to Thank uh, the students who participated uh, and for all their hard work. So, thank you, Anne Marie, Michelle, Katrina, Allie, and Kennedy. With that, why don't we go right to the interviews?
1: I'm here with Anne-Marie Schwery, and we're going to talk about her research that she's doing um, for her independent
2: study. So, can you tell us a little bit about your research? So, in my research, I looked at the motivations and intentions to exercise. So, I used the International Physical Activity Questionnaire to measure the amount individuals exercise within a given week. And then to measure individuals' current cognitions, we use the dieting beliefs, exercise self-efficacy, body awareness, and current thought scales. So by using those scales, we were able to measure um, like how individuals perceive themselves as well as others.
1: Wow, that seems really interesting. So what did you find related to that?
2: Yeah, so based on that, we found significant um, statistical results in that... Um, so exercise self-efficacy and current thoughts were significantly correlated with the amount in which people exercise. So that basically means that the longer people like believe in themselves that they will exercise for a given amount of time, the more likely they are to exercise. And um, like the greater perception they have of themselves, the more likely they are to exercise.
1: Wow. So if I want to get healthy, I should just believe in myself and then I'm going to exercise. Yes. I've learned so much today.
2: (laughs) I'm so happy, Michelle. This was a great study. (laughs) Thank you.
1: So, um, now that you've found some really interesting things, how would you change your study or like to expand your study in the future?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think that if I were to add... Um, like a social interaction piece to it so if you have a workout buddy or if you have like a Fitbit or like a workout device I think that would definitely have an impact in the way that you exercise because if you have someone that you depend upon um, I think that would definitely have an impact in the amount that you exercise and the way that you perceive exercising as well
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense that'd be really interesting hopefully someday in the future <laughs>
2: Okay, so we are here with Michelle McChesney, and she's going to tell us all about her research. So, Michelle, tell us a little bit about your study.
1: So, um, for my study, I wanted to look um, specifically at something that would influence my future career. And so I want to be a school counselor, so I wanted to look at um, the influence school size has on post-secondary plans. So that's what I did for my research.
2: Wonderful. So how did you go about that?
1: Um, Well, the Department of Public Instruction, um, they actually post data um, from all the schools in Wisconsin every year on different variables. So what I did was I downloaded data from the Department of Public Instruction on the variables that I wanted to look at, and then I compared them in terms of school size.
2: Awesome. That sounds really interesting. And what did you find? Well, I found
1: that um, in terms of plans... Um, more students from small schools plan to attend like vocational college rather than a four-year university whereas um, in for large school students they the majority of them plan to go to a four-year institution so that was kind of interesting to see um, the difference between small and large schools and then when it and when it came to enrollment so the number of students who enrolled in a four or in a four-year or two-year institution um, post-graduation um, there was similar rates between large and small schools. So both small and large schools are having people enroll. Um, there's just kind of a difference in the, which type of, um, whether it's a four-year or two-year institution.
2: That sounds great. So if you were to do this again, what would you do differently or like what would you add to it?
1: Um, If I was able to add to it, I'd really like to um, add interviews um, and go into some of the small schools and be able to talk and large schools and be able to talk and see, talk with the students and see exactly why they have the plans they do. Why do they plan to go to a four-year institution or why do they plan to go to a vocational college or go right into employment? Um, Because I think it's interesting that these small school students don't necessarily want to go to a four-year institution, and so is that because of, like, the size of their town, or is that because of, like, they just want to do what their parents do, or they don't want to leave their small town, so there's a lot of, like, interesting factors that could be playing, and I would be, in like, figuring out what those are.
2: Awesome. Well, great research and great work, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so we are here with Katrina Weber, and she's going to tell us a little bit about the research that she's been doing throughout the years. So Katrina, tell us a little bit about your study.
3: Um, so our study was um, looking at the cross-cultural attention processes with parent and child interactions. Um, so I did this research with Professor Sanzaki. So we um, did the study here in the U.S., and then there was um, a parallel study done in Japan with her collaborator, Um so we were looking at just, like, the differences in um, how you, what you pay attention to between the U.S. and Japan. Um, and so we did this to kind of see if it matches with the types of societies that um, the U.S. and Japan are. So the U.S. is more individualistic. Um, and just kind of more, I guess, like egotistical compared to Japan, which is more of a holistic society. So in the study, we had um, parents and infants ages 6 to 18 months come in, and the parents were given a picture book. Um, So there are no words with the book, and we were just told them to create a story and read it to your child. Um, And the book was called The Ten Little Ladybugs, and it was one of those books where... It starts with like 10 ladybugs on the page and as you turn the page, it goes down to like nine, eight, seven, like all the way down and then the last page, they're all back. Um, And then there's other kind of like side characters on each page that like change, like one page, it's a butterfly and another page, it's a grasshopper. And so we predicted that the Japanese parents would um, focus on both the main character, which is a ladybug and the background characters and really like how they interact with each other. Um, because that kind of parallels their societies being more holistic and collectivist. And then the U.S. would mainly just focus on the ladybugs, because that's the main character of the story. Um, And so we ended up having 50 um, groups from parent and child diets in the U.S. and 53 in Japan. Um, And then once they read the story, we transcribed um, everything that the parent said, and we coded it based on whether it was... um, talking about the ladybug or the background characters.
2: So then what did you find based on that? Um, so we, um, all
3: of our hypotheses were supported. We did find that the um, U.S. parents talked drastically more about the ladybug than the background characters. Um, the Japanese parents also talked more about the ladybug than the background characters, but it was um, not as great of a difference. And we also found in the language the parents used, the U.S. parents would be more separate about the ladybug and the background characters. So they would be like, there are seven ladybugs, there is a grasshopper versus the Japanese parents would be more like the grasshopper says hello to the ladybug. So it's more about the interactions between the two.
2: This is amazing research. Wow. And very interesting findings. Yeah, it was really cool to
3: learn about the different like cultures and how that even affects like what you pay attention to.
2: Yeah. And all from a storybook. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, if you were to be able to do this again, what is something that you would maybe do differently, um, if anything?
3: I don't know. I just actually read an article on um, using, uh, like, electronic book where there was, like, no words and you created a story. Um, and then there are also, like, kind of prompts included. Um so that was more focused to be used with um, lower SES-like families to kind of foster that parent-child interaction. So maybe kind of something like that to see, even if that's like different across cultures as well.
2: SES is socioeconomic status. So Katrina's also gonna talk with us about the research done by the Psychology Human Development Club research team, which worked with Dr. Ryan Martin.
3: Okay, so um, I worked along with Caitlin Polly, McKenna Garvey, Emily Velucas. Natalie Werland and Tanner Ross on a project uh, that looked at the engagement and um, kind of opinions on the psychology major, especially now that it is a fully online program that's being offered. Um, And so what we did was we sent out a survey to students um, and we were asking if they take classes all in person, kind of half and half in person and online or completely online. And we were then looking at the level of engagement within the major and activities through like the clubs that we have and just other um, activities that the department offers, as well as their attitudes and feelings towards the psychology major and the department here at UW-Green Bay, and then its effects on their GPA. And so we hypothesized that the primarily online students would be less engaged in the psychology major and would be less satisfied with the major the primarily in-person students but we did not believe that there would be an effect on their gpa whether they were in-person or online students
2: wonderful so did your results support your hypothesis
3: um yes they did partially so we um the primarily on- online students were less engaged with the major but they were not less satisfied with the major, so that was, I guess, a positive that that wasn't the way that we had hypothesized. That even though they're online, um, they're still very satisfied with their major, and we did find that there was no significant difference with their GPA if they were online or in person.
2: Wonderful. So, if you were to add or change anything to the study, if you were to do it again in the future, um, what would you do differently?
3: Um, I guess I would just like want to do it like wait like five or so years to do it again when it's more because it's like a very new thing that it's like Mm -hmm. a strictly online degree. So I would like to kind of like, you know, um, do it again, like when there's more students that are just in that strictly online, um, degree program.
2: Wonderful. Well, great. This is very important for our psychology department to have this information. So thank you for all of your guys' hard work.
4: Yeah. Thank you. My name is Allie Schramm. I'm a current senior at UW-Green Bay in the psych major, so I'll be graduating in a few weeks, Um, and my research is on my honors project. So I decided to study um, the difference between, if there was a difference, between stigma of someone with... A a mental illness or stigma with someone who had a physical injury and a mental illness. So what I did was I had two fictitious patients that um, one of them had just symptoms of anxiety. I didn't say that they had anxiety, they just had symptoms. The other fictitious patient had um, an injury and then they also had the same symptoms. So the only difference between the two was there was a sentence including that this person had an injury. And then we... um, did a few different things. So I asked um, the participants questions um, like, should this person be excused from school or work? Should this person see psychologists for their symptoms? Um, If you were this patient, would you be embarrassed to tell people your symptoms? Do you feel sympathy for this person? And then we also um, administered the CAMI scale, which is the community attitudes towards mental illnesses. Um, And we found a few different things. So First of all, I found some surprising things that I wasn't expecting to find. Um, Participants explained that they would be more embarrassed to tell someone that they had an injury and anxiety versus just the symptoms of anxiety and then we also found that um, participants thought that the person with an injury and anxiety symptoms should see a psychologist more often than the person with just anxiety so that was really interesting but a really um, hopeful finding that made me happy was that there was really no difference between the sympathy that they felt and the sympathy levels were high so that was really great in my opinion i was really excited about that Um, because that presents um, hope for the future that stigma won't be associated with mental illnesses or physical injuries for that matter. Um, I think that some of the findings that we found could have been attributed to the sample. So all of the um, participants were um, students in the introductory to human development or psychology courses. So these are students who have some sort of... um, exposure to mental illnesses and may already have their stigma decreased. Whereas I feel like if we put this survey out in the community, they might be a little different and the results may be a little bit more varied. So if I could do anything differently in my research, I would have wanted to put it towards um, community members instead um, with a combination of students on campus because I feel like then you would have more of a generalizable and um, comprehensible findings that could be generalized to the public. Um, so yeah, that's my research. OK, we are here with Kennedy Wentz. So Kennedy, if you could introduce yourself first and tell us a little about yourself, and then we can talk about your research.
5: Hi, I'm Kennedy. I'm currently a senior at UW-Green Bay, and I'm a major in design arts and a minor in psychology and studio arts.
4: Awesome. So could you tell us what you researched about?
5: I studied room characteristics and perceptions. And the purpose of our study was to determine if people perceived rooms differently based on distinct room characteristics and whether or not room evaluations correlated with personality. Uh, we found that open rooms get, <laughs> received more positive responses and closed rooms received more negative responses and also low saturated rooms received more positive evaluations and high saturated rooms received more negative evaluations.
4: So what do you mean by like high saturation, low saturation, and like closed and open? So would it be like open concept or like a room like we're right now where it's closed?
5: <laughs> uh, the open rooms included less furniture and windows, okay. and the closed rooms included more furniture and no windows, okay. and they also varied on four room types. So living room, bathroom, bedroom, and kitchen. Okay. And And what was the saturation? The saturation. The low saturation essentially means that it's a lighter color. We use like a light tan and then the high saturation is more of a stronger color, so we use like a dark brown.
4: Okay, that makes sense. That's really interesting. So if you were to do the study in the future, would you do anything differently? And if so, what and why?
5: Um, I probably wouldn't manipulate as many variables because I manipulated three. Uh, mostly because we try to find correlations between like the personality of the participants and how they evaluated rooms and we found that the personality only correlated with specific combinations of the three characteristics rather than just one care like one general characteristic.
4: Okay that makes sense that's super interesting it's kind of like Um, a mixture of like personality psych and like environmental psych which is super cool and like also your major so that's awesome well thank you so much for telling us about your research congratulations and um, I hope you have fun presenting at MPA thanks
0: (laughs) and there we have it thanks once again to Anne-Marie, Michelle, Katrina, Allie, and Kennedy Uh, really excited to hear the results of those at the conference as well so Uh, That is all we have for today. I want to, uh, again, thank our guests. I want to thank Kate Farley, our producer, who put all of those interviews together into one neat, nice package. I want to thank Kimberly Vlis. I also want to talk about our next episode. So next week we are going to be live from the Midwestern Psychological Association Conference talking with uh, some of the other researchers, not necessarily from UW-Green Bay, who are presenting their work there. So we will be live bringing a microphone around from presentation. A presentation uh, talking with with uh, student researchers about their work That's all we have Thanks for listening.